I love being wrong. It's part of my favorite things in life, list of favorite things in life. So I love being proven wrong because then I'm closer to whatever the truth is. And maybe truth is like a shifting thing and it's gonna be true one day and not the other, but prove me wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I like love that stuff. Welcome to Seriously Catherine, a podcast about taking your business seriously, but not yourself. On this week's episode of Seriously Catherine, I'm joined by Marcella Hammer, HBIC and COO at Palette Community. We talked a lot about trauma, business leadership, and having really hard discussions on a regular basis and how she excels so well at them. So you don't want to miss this episode. On this week's hot take, it's all about Taylor Swift, but I am not going where you think I am. So hear me out. I got something to say. This is also just so interesting to me. I can't help, but I don't know if you've been able to avoid the Travis Kelsey and the Taylor Swift menagerie on social media. I think it's unavoidable, which I'm totally fine with. I love Taylor Swift and I support her. I've got faith that she's not going to de derail anything. Like she's still going to be a great role model for myself and my children because Ruby is obsessed. She knows that these tech, these devices can give her information, like what the weather is, and also how much are tickets for Taylor Swift. I caught her the other day. She was like having a conversation with Echo about how much tickets are. And that could also be why I keep on seeing so much Taylor Swift content because it's all connected, you know. But I can't help but be like so in love with this couple. I really hope they work, th this works out. I want to see Taylor Swift married with a baby in two years. She's just like this all-American girl. I mean, honestly, like the American dream too. Like she literally, if anything, she's kicked ass and taken names. I mean, she re-recorded all of her, that, that was a badass move. That was a badass business move. Yes, this is my point, okay? So, if you're not following this, you I sound like a crazy person. Like I tried to tell Mark about this yesterday and he's like looked at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, do you like you don't have enough going on in your life that you're completely absorbed with all these different relationships that, that Taylor Swift has. So, okay, let me just back it up. Jonas, the Jonas brothers, there's three of them. There's Nick, Joe, I don't know what the other one's name is. But Joe Jonas, at now I'm now I'm second guessing. Yeah, Nick's married to the other lady. So Joe Jonas was married to Sophie Turner. Okay, Sophie Turner's from Game of Thrones. I don't know if you watched that, but I did, and I loved her. Her, her name was Sansa, I think. S-A-N-S-A, not Santa, Sansa. I think. Anyway, fact check me, people. Game of Thrones people are crazy. So if you get this shit wrong, they will come after you. Anyway, they recently announced their divorce. And it's been kind of nasty, like, because then he gave her shit about, like, going out with her girlfriends and she should be, like, at-home momming, which, you know, I, I'm not okay with. I mean, don't ever shame a mom for, you know, taking care of herself. Sophie and Taylor are BFFs, okay? Like, they're besties. They go out together. Like, she's the one that they're that she's going out with. And I get it. Taylor Swift doesn't have any kids, so she's living a different life. But she respects Sophie as a mom, and I don't think that there's any issue with it. Like, Taylor's not a bad person for Sophie to hang out with Joe, but... I just got, so this is the rabbit hole I went down, okay? I got an email from SPAC saying, like, Jonas Brothers are coming to concert, whatever. And I, like, laughed my ass off because the Jonas Brothers are playing at SPAC. And Taylor Swift is, like, selling out a world tour. You know, I just think, like, poor, look at look at cute Joe, 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 Joe Donas. Like, Taylor Swift will, will be so big forever that she'll never come to SPAC, you know? She'll be, like, maybe in her 70s if she ever comes to SPAC. And little Joe, little Joe and his bros are, are playing SPAC. 
my point is just like, I appreciate that coming this back. I'm probably not going to go to the concert out of, you know, solidarity with Sophie Turner. She doesn't know who I am, but like she needs to know that I support her. And Joe Jonas is dead to me. And that is what I have to say about that. Okay, so if you know me, you know that I love what I do and I'm a workaholic. So if I ever have a chance to get away, I can't go too far away without my kids and without being so far away from work. The Adelphi is my go-to. What's really great about the Adelphi is that it has everything you need. It's right there on Broadway. It has a restaurant. It's got the breakfast joint. It's got it all. And the room service is amazing. So last Christmas, we did Christmas Day night at the Adelphi. We booked the Polaris suite, which is really special because it has a hot tub on the balcony. And the kids loved it. It was so much fun. We ordered room service. And it was just like the most special thing. And again, it's got a jacuzzi. I mean, who doesn't want to use a jacuzzi at the Adelphi. If you don't have the opportunity to stay at the Adelphi, you can still go and hang out in their in their lobby or eat at their restaurants. The best sushi in town by far, I believe, is at the Adelphi. You should get the rainbow roll. You can thank me later. It's delicious. It's absolutely the bomb. If you are local and you need a night off or a night away, don't go too far. Go right there to the Adelphi. Book yourself a room, have dinner there, have breakfast in the morning, and you'll feel like a totally different person when you wake up. This week from Saratoga Living, I'm going to unpack their ultimate food and drink guide. Okay, according to Saratoga Living, the unofficial nightcap is the espresso martini, which is like, did they read my mind? Because that is what I get. I usually get at the end of a meal. You know, if we're not going to go for dessert, I have to get some sort of thing sweet. So it's either a white Russian, which I get an eye roll or like a shock whenever I order that. I love a white Russian and or an espresso martini. They have listed seven different places you can get a delicious espresso martini. I'll just go ahead and list the restaurants. Nine Maple Ave, Caroline Street Pub, Bocage, Champagne Bar. Obviously, they're going to have a good espresso martini. Morrissey's. The Misfit, Lucy's Bar, and the Coat Room. And I might have to make a point just to do my homework here and go taste all all these espresso martinis at these different venues. But I've had the one at Lucy's. It's delicious. I've had the one at Bocage. It's awesome. I've also had the one at Morrissey's. That's the one that I have the most experience consuming. And what I really love about it, and they mentioned this also, is like it has no cream, but it still tastes so creamy. How do they do that? I don't get it. It's so good. And, you know, I can only have one espresso martini or else I'm like up, up, up for the, for the, until the end of time. And I, mama's got to sleep. So only one. That's my limit. But it is, yeah, it's a sweeter. It's it's true. This says it's an enjoy a lighter, airier consistency with sweet vanilla finish. And that is exactly what it tastes like. It's delicious. Dangerously delicious. That's what I have to say about that. But if you are a fan of espresso martinis as much as I am, and there's one in town that I haven't tried, or not even just in town, like in capital region wide, if there's an espresso martini in the region that I have not tasted that I need to, you got to let me know. Don't keep me in the dark here. Tell me where to get the best espresso martini. You can slide into my DMs at Catherine Hover. Everyone grab your popcorn. Let's go. Yes. I was wondering if we were going to show up in matching outfits today. I thought about it. We've done. I did think about wearing, I had these jeans on and I was going to put a denim shirt and I was like, I I swear to God, Marcel's going to walk in with (laughs) denim on denim too. So I opted for this outfit. It's subtle. That again. You blend right it's in very subtle. to kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Marcella. 
this whole podcast is called Seriously Catherine, and I think also Seriously Marcella, because it's just, you do such a great job of not taking yourself too seriously, not overthinking every little thing, and it's a disarming strength, I think, or skill that you have. Thank you. It is not always easy, but it is something that, with practice, gets easier, because it can be really hard to have big feelings and to interact with other people having big feelings and not take it personally. Fast forward, I'm starting this palette thing and I'm, I'm still just like trying to figure it out and coming up with the concept and the idea. And I wanted to create a space for myself, people like myself to go to, to meet with other people, collaborate, all the things. And I got word or heard that you were shutting down that business. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's a free agent. She's a free agent. She needs to come back and help me. So I remember connecting with you and we we did sort of stay connected. We would see each other around town all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, please come help me do this. And you were like, hell to the no. I am not going backwards. Hard no. Hard negative. Hard no. Like, sorry, not sorry, but I don't want to do that. Yeah. And a, a lot of it is just this this idea you can't go backwards. And I knew that if I came back to Paint and Sip, it would be not a step backwards, two steps backwards almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. And everything I had been through over the, the three and a half years that that business was open made me First of all, completely burnt out. I was completely isolated. I was burnt out. I was exhausted. I felt like I knew who I was, but I also had no idea who I was anymore once it closed. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy to say no that first time and also the second time and the third time. So after that business closed, like I said, I was completely physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted, financially exhausted. And it it was in a field that is like not me. It it wasn't something that I thought was my destiny to be in. It was in like the cosmetology field, which I mean, I know I have eyebrows and eyelashes right now thanks to makeup, but it's not my passion. And I think that like I take away that, I know that I really changed some people's lives. There are always haters in every realm of our lives. Just ask Beyonce and Taylor Swift, who are our peers. So I know that not everyone was happy with everything I did, but like whoever is. What I really think that you and I have always shared from a business perspective and from a business passion perspective is creating a singular experience that can only happen in the space that we've created. And that was something that I know I was able to do incredibly well with that business. So I knew that that was a strong point for me, but I was so just nothing left. And I knew I couldn't go back and work at Paint and Sip. So I'm like, okay, maybe I will be a Reiki healer. And so I started reading all these books about like how to be a Reiki healer. I'm like, maybe I will do this. (laughs) But... It just didn't seem right. So I went through all of these like different avenues of like who I want to be, like what the person that I am now in 2018, I'm like, what is this person? What's next? And I'm like, oh, you know what? My brother's a lawyer. Maybe I'll just be a lawyer and be more successful than him and just just let that be my path. So I started studying for the LSAT. And I'm like, actually, this is boring. And the end result of becoming a lawyer is that you have to be a lawyer. <laughs> that didn't feel like the right path. 
And as I'm doing this research into what kind of career I want, like who do I want to be next, I started doing these mantra meditations to find my prosperity, like to find find this next thing. It's like 40-day cycle meditation. So I started, and on the 40th day, I get a phone call from Catherine Hover. It was some sort of opportunity that you wanted to share with me. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. How, how thoughtful of her to call on this day. That's, I guess it didn't work. So I started another cycle of 40 days on this meditation. I'm like, all right, it didn't work once. Let me try it again. On the 40th day, you called again. You can't make this shit up. You re- it was the strangest thing. You know, people talk about manifestation and about putting things into the universe. And I'd never experienced anything like that. And I said no again, but, uh, you know, you were still like, yeah, yeah, there's this opportunity, but I'm also doing this thing, and it might be really good. It might be cool to work together again. I'm like, yeah, definitely hard no. I'll go, go, you know, explore this other opportunity. So the second time, the person ended up offering me the job, and I turned it down, and that was at the end of another 40 days. And I get another call from Catherine. She's like, just come to this new place. I heard you turned this other person down. Well, I was a little irritated because I'm like, Marcella, what the hell? Like, I am literally handing these opportunities to you that I know you would, I mean, you would excel at anything pretty much. But like the art center, that's perfect. You know, this other creative job, I was like, this will be great, you know. And so when you kept kept turning them down, I'm like, like, I don't know what you want, you know. And like, I want to help you figure that out. And, you know, obviously, if it helps me, that's awesome too, right? So I think it was a third time. It was the third time. And you said, listen, the space has started. I'm creating a coffee shop. It is female-focused. The idea is to be a place for women to receive support in business. I remember after taking the tour with you and we were sitting on these rocking chairs on the porch of this historic building in downtown Saratoga, I did not plan to say yes to you that day at all. I fully planned to say no, but for some reason I said yes and agreed to whatever it would become. And I think a lot of it was that you had this element of women needing support and entrepreneurs needing support during their journey. And that was something that I still am so easily able to transport myself back into the room of my business that had closed and how isolated I felt surrounded by people who were happy and like literally sprinkling glitter. I knew how many questions I had had and how many times I had questioned myself in that room. And I never wanted to go through it again. And I never wanted anyone else to have to go through that and to have no one to turn to. I think that you've always done such a great job of connecting the business decisions and the business acumen to the woo-woo. I've historically been like, don't give me that woo-woo shit. Give me the numbers. Give me the real deal. Like, what do we need to do? What's the action, you know? And so I think that that, that makes that such a great team because you you are able to ground me and sometimes like just make me recognize like it's not the end of the world, right? Or, you know, just help help me to stop and like look around and just absorb. And it's funny because what we talk about is woo-woo. It's evolved into just a focus on mental health. And what seemed woo-woo, like even healing crystals and things like that, it I really, the older I get, the more I realize that it is just this quest to feel in the moment, to be in the moment, and to be able to respond to everything in our surroundings from a sense of immediacy as opposed to being scattered and being overwhelmed with how much has to be done or how many decisions have to be made and how much is on the line at any given time. Yeah. And it's really hard. 
But definitely, I will go see an energy healer anytime. I know that I can't remember exactly what was going on in my life, but when we were launching Palette, the cafe, like the first iteration of Palette, I was pregnant and then also had the baby. And then like, I'm pretty sure I had Zia on a Thursday. And on Saturday, I was like in the coffee shop, like making steamed milk or some shit. Go home, man. I know. Get out of here. (laughs) Lady. It was like I, I just like felt fine to just, I, but I, but I also okay. think again but this looking, is something. But, but here's looking thing. back, I was looking crazy. back on it now. It's not yeah. that you were crazy. I think that you were just in such a trauma state of the stress of the financial stress of the business and the success of it and how much you had on the line of that. I think that when we have that amount of pressure on ourselves, we're able to like adrenaline rush our way through life and business and pay the price later. I read something about how burnout, you're using your energy today when you're in like a burnout state that you have to make up for in the future. And yeah. so the the crash would come, like you would be tired eventually, you would feel that drain eventually. But in the moment, it's like you had no choice. Yeah. And I had gone that through so many years with that other business too, where it's like, all right, get ready for another 12 hour day, lady. Yeah. Here you go. But but what I was getting at was, like, I was struggling at some point, you know, like, just, like, feeling tired, burnt out, exhausted. And you were like, listen, you need to go see Helene. Mm-hmm. And you were the one who introduced me to her. And she is amazing. I mean, I don't go to her all the time. And I should probably work her in, like, more regularly. But she's an energy healer. She's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, she healed herself from Lyme disease. So mm-hmm. she's got, like, the science to back it up and all the all the you know, the books and stuff that she'll give you to read up on is like, it's not, it's not BS. And I think that that is the core of the misinterpretation of what is woo-woo is that, you know, Helene is an energy healer, but she's also was a licensed therapist for years. She has so much academic background that helped to create the structure for how she works to heal people. And, you know, even if we look at Deepak Chopra, I mean, he's a doctor, bro. Like, he's not just some dude, like, levitating or something. This is this. <laughs> there is so much medical background and yeah. intellectual structure behind so much that's considered woo-woo. And, I mean, it is so fun to say woo-woo. But in reality, maybe it's not as, like, apparition-like and mystical as we think it is. And it's much more connected to the invisible magic signs of our brains. Yeah. It's like your culture, you know? It's like to— to think on the bright side in the midst of just shit hitting the fan. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've have seen you just be okay in the midst of just trauma, chaos. Yeah, um, I'm, I've, I've experienced so much trauma that it's like, all right, man, okay, let's go. We can do this. Uh, but also, I think it has to do with that being able to exist in the moment without a past or present that see, even that sounds woo woo, but I don't mean it in that way. I just mean like I'm here. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking that someone is saying something about me that is going to impact my. Like, I don't really care what people think about me, and maybe that's part of it. Is that I've realized that everybody is who they are going to be, and in a situation where everything is going bad, if I allow myself. Or if I start picking up on, like, feelings of anger or anything like that, nothing is going to change. And the best thing to do is get the heck out of there. Like, let's end this traumatic situation. Let's fix this problem. Let's find a way to solve whatever we're in so we don't have to stay here forever because this is miserable. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if this is off topic or off limits, yeah, by off limits. all means, say, cut 
cut it out. But I want to talk about how almost dying affected your life. Because Which time? I'm saying... <laughs> Well, I almost died in August, yeah. and it was actually, like, you who helped me and Dr. Ashdrock helped me recognize that it was literally, like, I almost died. Everything is different now. And I don't—I mean, I'm just so grateful that you were able to call me out on that because this all happened on a Tuesday morning. I was in the hospital until Thursday, caught—and I was home on Friday. I think you came over on the Friday, and I'm like, I mean, I'll be fine by Monday. I mean, I feel like crap, and I'm exhausted still, but, I mean, I'm good. We're good. Everything's good. And you were like— Stop, collaborate, and listen. Mm -hmm. I had to do that just now. But. I, I'm really glad that you did. <laughs> I knew that you didn't realize the magnitude uh, fully in yourself of what you had been through. And so, yeah, I forcibly canceled all your meetings for, like, weeks. It was so—that was so stressful. I mean, because it was like I, I show up. I mean, that's, like, one of the things that I— give myself shit for if I don't do, right? If I can't be in all the places and I can't meet all the people and I can't be at all the events, I just, I do really feel horrible about that because I think how we support each other, in my mind, like, is showing up. But what happens when showing up means that you're showing up at the cost of yourself, of your own physical health, your mental health, your own body, your own mind, time, existence. Yeah. And I think that that's a realization that only comes... Later in life, for a lot of us, hopefully Gen Z like has this together because they're very inspiring to me, despite their fashion choices, which are atrocious. Like, did oh you yeah, once upon a time I almost died. Yeah, so I think when I think of you, I think like yeah, everything after that moment was like lanyap is what I call it, is like extra, you know, and like just everything is extra, and I think it it certainly. I, again, I believe it has impacted you in a way that, like, everything sort of that's extra, it's, like, it's not like it doesn't matter, but it's sort of like, okay, this fairly, like, this is my sort of interpretation of it. It's, like, I almost died, and now I'm, like, on borrowed time, where I'm, like, I get to, you know, I feel like we've created so much together. My family is really in a great place, and, you know, I guess I'm just grateful to be alive and get to do what I get to do, and now I'm starting to really— become more careful about what what that is, right? Like, what do I get to do? And making sure that that's what I want to do for me because I don't need to prove anything to anybody. That is very true. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. I and, didn't need to, I didn't yeah. need to prove anything to anyone before, but this but didn't certainly— you? But didn't you? I mean, like, I didn't you? felt I did, yeah. but I actually didn't. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So kind of backtracking to the once upon a time when I almost died, and this very much connects to what you were just saying, it, like the idea of living on borrowed time. So when I was in my early 20s, I was attacked on the street and followed home and uh, was stabbed on my front porch several times and survived. So... With that came a lot of trauma, but I very much remember being in the scenario of, like, these two men who were, like, teenage boys attacking me and stabbing me with a knife and thinking, this doesn't happen to me. I'm tall. I'm strong. Like, what? It, this is not even real. And the sense of disassociation between myself and the experience that I was living through. And what was so interesting is that, obviously, I was pretty traumatized. I had a lot to recover from that. And... I also felt like I had failed at even being attacked because I was, like, pretty much okay. No no organs were hit by the knives that stabbed. Like, just these things that our brains do to us are absolutely outrageous. 
The thing that I think is important that I was just saying is that this doesn't happen to me. Like, I'm not the kind of person that gets chased home. I'm like five foot ten. I'm a Viking. <laughs> like, come on. And and this was not in Saratoga. This is not in Saratoga. I was living clarify. in Boston at the time. So you're away from home. I mean, that that in itself, there was so many layers to this. Like, I remember when you told me, I was just like, how do you navigate after that, you know? The same way that everybody else does. So what also happened is this was in like the early 2000s and we didn't talk about trauma back then the way we talk about trauma now. Now everybody understands there are different degrees of trauma that we go through. We understand what a post-traumatic brain, what happens in a post-traumatic brain, which is essentially that it can skip over parts of an experience in order to help us exist, survive, and heal. So one metaphor I think about is like a crack in the sidewalk and you just like are able to cover over it and not even recognize that crack. So you're able to retell the story in your brain in order to survive. At that time, I didn't know where to learn this. And I had been to a counselor that I didn't really make a connection with. And I was just in such a funk. And I'm a reader. So I remember going to the library and I was standing at the little computer terminal, which this is like post card catalog, thank God. (laughs) And I'm like, what do I even type in here? Like what to do after you get stabbed? Like, is there a book about this? And there was no book. So I ended up finding literature on post-trauma that primarily dealt with people who had been through uh, war experience, military experience, and sexual assault. And connected to what I was experiencing, but also didn't. So for me, it began this journey of trying to understand why my brain was doing and feeling the way that it was. And I ended up understanding what we all know now is that everyone experiences trauma, whether it's as a child, as an adult, continuously. I think we're all pretty traumatized by news cycles, and we're all going through a state of trauma from the global pandemic that we just all experienced. So how do we recover? How do we get better? What do we do? There's no one answer, but there is at least this discussion now through social media, through the public media, in books and literature and everything about the reality that is trauma, that it is not something that is easy to treat necessarily. And that it's real, that your brain actually changes after you go through something. Like, your brain is not the same brain that it was in July. I also have new blood that I think, I, I don't know if there is any science to this, but I got three liters of new blood, and I, I just, I feel impacted by that. I feel like it's changed me. I got some, like, really good blood. Yeah, you got some good blood? Did you get the typo? I am typo. Like, then you did. You got the good blood. You got the good stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean— <laughs> Maybe not scientifically, but metaphorically, yeah. You went through this experience where you have new blood, you have new life going through you. And maybe this wasn't, maybe like I think about kind of circling back to what I experienced, like this wasn't, this isn't me. Like this doesn't happen to me. And I bet you felt that way too. I know you did when we were talking earlier that day and you're like, oh, this is going on. I'm like, go to the doctor right now. Yeah. Take it seriously. Well, that's right. I wasn't feeling good and I was like feeling like off and tired and just like extra tired than usual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, and I, but the other part too is like, I remember talking to Dr. Ashtrock. I need to have him on the program too, but I was, remember being like, I am, this is like a week out and I'm still not feeling better. You know, like again, it was like major surgery, lost a lot of blood. So my body is still recovering. And 
I remember telling him like, well, I should feel better by now, right? And he's like, no, actually, you no. feel this is this is a normal response. You're exhausted because of the blood, whatever. And I was like, but I am like riddled with anxiety. Like I couldn't, I was like, er, I'm like, should, and I, I did, I called him. I was like, can, we, can you meet me at Four Winds and help me like get in there? And he's like, no, no, you don't need to go to Four Winds. You're, this is all a normal reaction process that you're going through and you're suffering and you're helpless and this is all and I was like is this when people pick up a drink or try drugs because I feel like that's you know he's like yes that that may be something that somebody does but instead you called me you know so it's something interesting I like have been thinking about is like how some people react to the trauma in a way that uplifts them and motivates them and inspires them to do better or it's the the other side where you're like did you feel depressed after that happened oh, or absolutely. were you absolutely absolutely it was a nightmare i couldn't even sleep with the lights off it was terrifying i was absolutely completely a disaster mentally and emotionally. And something that I think also happens after you experience a great trauma is you feel like you can't talk, you have to lead with it in every conversation, that it's right on the tip of your tongue, that it's like right in front of you and you have to like explain the elephant in the room before you have any other conversations. Maybe it's because I just felt so weird and so unlike myself that I needed this disclaimer. But also the way that I was experiencing this trauma is that you never know what's going to set you off and put you back into that sort of like physical state that you were in when you were experiencing it. So you, I would be like on a subway train and just like have a panic. Do you ever feel like, do you ever just like go back to that time in that room when you realized you had to have a surgery and had to like, that it was all real, that it was all actually happening to you, to your human body. And I mean, no, not yet. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just when you explain. Get ready, girl. When you just did that to me, I was just like, I mean, it was crazy because you can't, because I thought like, oh, they're going to hook me into an IV. I'm just feeling a little tired or whatever. Or, you know, I didn't, th I, or even like, I don't know. I did, I, I've had issues with my gallbladder and gallstones. So I thought maybe that had something to do with it. So when, when Dr. Birnbaum came in and he's like, in the next 20 minutes, you're going to surgery. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. Are you? Why are you here by yourself? You need to call somebody. And I was like, do I? He's like, yeah, you're going to surgery. It's an emergency surgery. You're bleeding out. We need to get this, you know, figured out ASAP. And he, he like, almost, he like shook me into like, oh God. And I did. I started to cry and I was like starting to panic. Another thing that I, I can always go back to the room where my father died. Mm. And for me, that was another great trauma that I, it wasn't a life or death for me, but it was a life or death for my father, for my family, I can absolutely, it's it's so easy to go back to what it felt like, what that room looked like, everything that I was experiencing. And same thing with when I was stabbed. I can go back to that moment so easily. But the more that time passes, the more that I learn about how brains react to trauma, the more that I meditate, the more that I exercise, the more that I express myself creatively uh, through business or like actual creative work, the easier it gets to be in the moment that I'm in versus that moment. When I worked for you at Paint and Sip, when I, was, when I started as a teaching artist, it was right after my father had died, probably a month. And I barely remember anything. I don't even know who I was. I hated everybody. I hated everything around me. Oh, my God. I could never I was, tell that. Well, you learn how to put on a good face yeah. when you have to survive through it. But it was—and I, I would close my eyes and see my dead father. And 
then have to go and stand up with a microphone and make a joke about painting some owl with rainbow colors. Mm. All of this leads me to where I get to be now, where I can talk about these things without being immediately transported back into the physical, mental, and emotional feelings of those moments, mm-hmm. except my father's death, which if you've lost a parent or lost someone close to you, like it never goes away. Like it's a little better, but it's just a nightmare forever. And I think that has helped me in business, by golly. It really has. <laughs> well, we <laughs> – I think I've talked about this in earlier episodes, too, about just, like, I vacillate between, wow, I needed this trauma because now it's, like, built who I am, my character, my work ethic, my outlook on life. You know, if without the trauma, without the hardship, without, you know, all the things, like, I wouldn't be who I am. And then there's – you're about to tell me the opposite, where it's like well, you don't have to go through trauma. It's But that's like also something your brain is doing, right? It's like it's yeah. helping well, you make sense of it so that you can be a functioning person. We're all going to go through trauma. I think that, that everyone is going to—it's part of the human experience is that trauma is part of the human experience. That's something that we all need to acknowledge. However, I do not believe that everything happens for a reason at all. When bad things happen, it's not it's not preordained. It's not supposed to happen to you. You're not supposed to survive it and come out stronger on the other side. It's more like we're living life and we're actually riding a bicycle through life, but we're looking backwards. So we can't see what's coming. We can see what we've been through, and we can work to make sense of the experiences that are behind us in order to move confidently forward. But... There's no reason behind it. There's no reason I had to get stabbed. There's no reason that you had to go through that health crisis. There's no reason that my father had to die other than everybody dies. So rather than try and explain away my pain with the fact that it's going to make me stronger, I think just being able to accept that it's part of the human experience has really helped me to heal from it, to be better at handling trauma in the moment. And like I said, I think that makes me better at business because when everything is a nightmare swirling around and everything goes wrong, you can start from zero and work to build everything back up. Everyone else can be panicking, but if you're able to, maybe because you've been through so much, just stay calm, cool, and collected, then things are going to get better. Well, you are you talking about me? Because, you maybe. know, I don't, well, be, like, I'm not the one that stays cool, calm, and collective. Sometimes you are, But maybe. you... You no, de- I definitely am. You are the cool, calm, collective. Yeah. Oh, I voice love a good of, voice crisis. Of, voice of reason. I mean, but you do have such a sense of just the world. Maybe. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I, you. I like. I need you in my life because you, you like help me sort of. And and you do. You call me out when I'm like, you wish you should not have said that. That was out of line. Remember when I told Phil to drink the Kool Aid? <laughs> Yeah. As much as I enjoy enjoy, uh, cult narratives and and things like that, sometimes we say things that are not appropriate, like talking about drinking the Kool-Aid in a positive light when in reality a bunch of adults and children died not knowing they were being killed. Yeah, and I didn't – I guess I didn't know where that term came from. Maybe you just like Kool-Aid and like that that was it. I I do like Kool-Aid, but um, it was when – so we had the cafe and Phil – was working and I, I think we had a team meeting and I just like said it in a meeting like you guys need to be drinking the Kool-Aid this is a place of positivity and I need you to be happy and I want you to be you know 
And then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, I had to I apologize. Because I said, Catherine, we need to have a difficult conversation. That's right. Yeah, that's always the lead up to. <laughs> you, like, sit me down. You're like, yeah. We need to have a difficult conversation. When we say things like drink the Kool-Aid, the result of that metaphor is that everybody dies. So maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe let's find a new metaphor. It was, a, it was such a great opportunity. It was a teachable moment. I definitely need to be taught. So do I. Indefinitely. And so do I. And I think that that is part of my—I love being wrong. It's part of my favorite things in life, list of favorite things in life. I love being proven wrong because then I'm closer to whatever the truth is. And maybe truth is like a shifting thing, and it's going to be true one day and not the other. But prove me wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I, like, love that stuff. A leadership thing, right? Like a leadership skill to be able to tell somebody respectfully and looking out for them that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And then also on on the other end of it was— I accepted that, right? And I wasn't like, oh, my God, you're being dramatic or this is ridiculous. You know, I was like, oh, God, I took it very seriously. 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 And I apologized to Phil the next day. I think what I also have to acknowledge is that I was not, I did not, like, come out of my mother's human body being able to have difficult conversations with people and learning how to do that, even to say, Catherine, we need to have a difficult conversation. Every single part of that, every single part of every difficult conversation I have to have with people, man, I've had to read a book. I've read an article. I've Googled how to fire someone before. I've talked to lawyers. Like, every difficult scenario you can imagine, you can't just— I mean, I believe that it's not wise as a leader to just go in, like, guns blazing and uh, expect to have the results that you want. And that the my intention in that conversation with you was to have you understand the metaphor that you used and why it would be uncomfortable for someone and to ensure that the employee who was negatively impacted felt validated, heard, seen, and that they were part of the team and that their feelings really mattered too. Yeah. So that's why I had to approach it in the way that I did. But it wasn't like, oh my God, oh my God, Catherine, you need to apologize. Because that wouldn't have been impactful in the way that it needed yeah. to be. Oh, absolutely. That's a very good example. It is a good example. Of my you... strength. <laughs> <laughs> and emotional intelligence. There have been some pretty monumental things that have happened at Palette that sometimes I just think like, oh my God, that, like we did that or that happened or, you know, so is there any like one moment that you feel like is, this is why I choose to do this every day? Because for the most part, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's hard to be that for people. It's so hard to think of one thing because the scope has been so huge. And every person that joins Palette, I have to hold space for them when we do an onboarding. And Often, they tell me amazing things and also horrible things that they've been through that have led them to the moment that they're at. And I think we've had so many success stories and so many new beginnings and just so many small victories and big victories that it just blends into like a massive, sparkling, glittery fog of success wrapping around the earth. You don't become successful and then you're just like done it. You like find your beach. Kick your feet. Yeah. You're a tropical drink and like you just chill. It is a constant evolution and constant work and constant difficult decisions, difficult conversations, and a lot of time. Yes. Energy. Energy. Yeah. Okay, so you just were named one of Saratoga Living's top 25 people. Is it influencers or leaders in the community? I think that it was meant to highlight people who are uh, 
creating positive change yeah. and are good positive influences in the community. And also can't be missed in a crowd. And I'm pretty tall and orange and I dress very subtly. So it's pretty hard to miss me. How did you make, how did that make you feel to be like named Saratoga Living's one of 25 amazing people in the region? I mean, you're from here, you moved away, you boomeranged. Mm -hmm. And how does that make you feel, Marcella? It felt amazing because, you know, growing up here, and I think wherever we grow up, there's such a sense of judgment and critique. And you think that everywhere else in the world must be better. And in so many ways, there are places that are so much better than Saratoga. But at the same time, this is uh, an incredible city with magical healing waters flowing beneath it, with incredible arts and culture, brilliant people everywhere who actually care about this community. And for me, it was also just an excellent validation for any bullying that I went through in junior high school for that bowl cut that I had when I looked like a respectable young man instead of the elegant uh, bun-having woman that I am now. And it was a good validation that I have a right to be confident. Yeah, about I like that. I you exude confidence it, and superiority. Yeah, I had Because to. you are. Listen, I survived a bowl cut. At least a couple times. <laughs> that was you gotta, the first. You gotta, you gotta get that out of that somehow. That was the first trauma. One, one of them was that bowl <laughs> cut. What was also incredible is that the, this was put on by Saratoga Living, and the other people who were part of the Saratoga Twenty Five were incredible, and. I felt very honored to be standing amongst a diverse group of people, age, ethnicity, like everything, and the different ways that they impacted and wanted to continue to impact the community. It was pretty impressive. Well, thank you, Marcella. You'll thank have you, to Catherine. come back again because we just didn't unpack enough, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, we have but so much is... to discuss. <laughs> Hey everyone. Okay, this week's FaceTime Mom moment is inspired by our trip to New York City to meet my mom. And then we're headed to New Orleans, but I had all the girls pack their own suitcases. And thank God I looked inside Zia's suitcase because all she had in her luggage was a Cinderella costume, a toy tub, and nail polish. So my God, I'm just like opened it not thinking like I would, that's what I would find. I figured she would at least have you know, a pair of underwear or some clothes. Um, so I repacked for her myself. And then she was devastated when we finally got here and not, her toy tub was not in New York City with her. So I shared this on Instagram. My friend Kristen Finn shared her story of the exact same thing happening to her, only she did not check the luggage and her daughter Maisie had only stuffed stuffies in her suitcase. So when they got to the destination, they literally had to go shopping for outfits and clothes and underwear for her daughter. So double check your daughter's or your child's luggage if you let them pick, pack themselves and happy travel season. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you want to connect with me, slide into my DMs on Instagram. My handle is Katherine Hover.